I don't know if I should call them characters or game pieces, (laughs) but they certainly showed us the extreme in the different attitudes toward work. We have both ends of the spectrum there, those who are uh, fairly laid back and take a lackadaisical approach and type A personality who's really going after it. That's what we're looking at today. We're we're looking at work. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Road to Financial Freedom, and we're near the end of the road on the messages. This is, this is the second to last week. We've been looking at different principles that God lays out in Scripture. Last time I spoke, I was gone last week. Uh, my son graduated from college last week in Oklahoma, and so I was there. Uh, but the last time I spoke, we looked at uh, giving back and how there is a, a real value in giving. As, as you give, God, God does all kinds of things in you. And as you, <clears throat> as you give, you find that there is an unbreakable law that is wired into life. The measure you use in giving out to people is the measure you get back. That's what Jesus said. It, it's something that's very important. It brings God's protection and blessing as you get in line with his principles for giving. We also looked at his guidelines, God's guidelines for giving. It needs to be proportional, a percentage. Um, encourage people uh, who are new to giving to pick a percentage and work your way toward 10. A tithe is the biblical standard for giving that you find uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, but I, I, I encourage you to go before God. And ask him to show you where to start. Some pick a percentage and let him grow your faith. If you can go for 10, I'd go for 10. You'll find God's protection and blessing in that. Um, we're also to give with a cheerful and willing heart. This is something that you decide before God. The church or anybody else can't bill you. <laughs> or we could, but we shouldn't. It's something that you go before God and make up your own mind. We could try, huh? What would you do with that bill you got from a church? Well, that's nice. It's gone. Because it's it's up to you. You choose whether or not you give. And so God wants us to do it with a cheerful and willing heart, and he wants us to be discreet about it. He wants us to, to not blow our own horn or to toot our own horn about how giving we are. When we do that, we just received our reward. But today, as I said, we're going to dig into work. Work is something that... Uh, the Bible says that God placed man in the Garden of Eden. He made woman to be a, a, a companion to him as the man carried out God's will and as she did, played her role in life. Um, and he, he gave them some assignments. He gave them some work to do. And then he gave them some boundaries. He said, you, you can eat from any tree except for this one. And, of course... What the man and woman do? They ate from the, the tree that God commanded them not to. Well, what happened when they made that choice to rebel against God is it's, it's, they fell. In other words, we, there was, it was called a fall. In theology, it's the fall. It's the big thing that happened that made the world the way it is. And so there are some things, some difficulties and frustrations that have entered into the world because of that choice that the first man and woman made. And every one of us have also decided to make the same choice. Yeah, we agree. Let's do our own thing. Let's live life independent of God. Let's bust through his boundaries and and not obey him. Well, that brought some things into creation itself. And one of the things that, that 
happened is there was a curse placed on our work. So work now is hard. <laughs> it is not easy. Work is work. You know, it could be a drudgery and it could be difficult. And a simple task that should take a little bit of time seems to blow up on you because there's all kinds of frustrations in it. What God wanted to do in that was drive us back to him so we wouldn't rely on our work to meet our deepest needs, but that we would go to him to meet our deepest needs. That's, that's why he allowed that. That's why he brought that into our existence and made it a part of life. The frustration is designed to drive us to God, to trust him and to develop a relationship with him. But anyway, work now. Think about the word chore. Think about that word when you were a child. Chores get in the way of doing what you really want to do. This is certainly my attitude on through high school. I, my, the first major job assignment I had was from my dad. He, he asked a friend of mine and I if we wanted to make some money over the summer and do, do the roof on the house. And I said, sure, you know, sounds easy. What do you do? And um, we would work about an hour in the morning. He, he gave us all summer. He said, I don't care. Just get it done before the end of the summer. We would work about an hour. It'd start getting hot, and then we'd go to the beach. Work was getting in the way of our summer plans. And that, that's, that's the attitude that we tend to have toward work. Oh, it's work. It's a chore. But work, you find in Scripture, has a tremendous amount of value. And the reason is because God is a worker and he made you and I to work. It's a part of the way we're made. He made us to work. Sometimes we think God made the world and then he immediately retired. He just checked out, went into retirement. But that's not true. God is working. Um, He is not a grandparent who visits occasionally and gives us things in answer to our prayers, but he is actually working right now. John 5.17, Jesus said, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So God is, is working. He's someone who works. Creation is complete. But as you get into Scripture, you find out that he is working to sustain it. He's keeping things running. He's keeping the world in place where it is. He, he cares and provides for us. And all of creation, that's something that God's doing. He is guiding history in the way that he wants it to go. He is restraining sin. He's holding it back. If God weren't holding back sin, this world would be a mess. It, it would be a true mess because uh, of our choice to rebel. It just, just that, that rebellion can grow and grow and grow and really cause some problems, which we all know. Uh, both in our individual lives and as a, as a world. Um, he, is, he is working to save people. Since, since people decided to go their own way and rebelled against God, that cut them off from knowing God personally. And so what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ is he has paid the price on the cross for our sin. It, sin stacks up, st- stacks up a debt between ourselves and God. We, we should, as people who've been made by him, do what he wants us to do, but we don't, and we didn't, and we decided to rebel. So that, that 
stacks up a debt between us and God. Well, Jesus paid our debt on the cross for our sin. And God is, is working. One thing you find out that God's doing is he's using the events in, in your life and mine to draw us to himself. The frustration in work, the struggle in relationships, uh, the, 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 the really hard things that go on in life. He's, he's calling to us to go to him who gives strength and peace to those who turn to him. So God is working. He, he's got a lot going on that he is taking care of. He didn't make the world and then check out and go into retirement. And the fact that God works raises the value of our own work beyond economic necessity. <clears throat> work is noble. Any, any kind of honest work has a dignity all of its own. We're going to look a little bit more at that in a while. But God is a worker. And when I work, I reflect the image of God. I, you and I were made to reflect his image out of all of creation, the animals and all the things that God made. He made human beings, men and women, to reflect his image. A part of that reflection is that we work just like he does. We've got work to do. We've got stuff to take care of. <clears throat> Genesis says that God made man his image and then the Lord God, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We were made to work. So the work I'm given to do is a reflection of God's image. It's not something that's sandwiched in between the stuff I really want to do. Work is an important aspect of our lives. And when we work hard, and we fulfill the responsibility that God has given us to fulfill, it fulfills us. It fulfills a part of us, not all of us. It doesn't meet all of our needs, but we were made to work. So when we work hard, it fulfills a part of us, not, not all of us, but a part. When I'm lazy, I don't feel good about myself. But if I work, if I do the work that I know that lies before me, I feel right about my day and about myself. You want to have a good day? Do what you know you need to do. And take care of your responsibilities. That's a big part of having a good day. God's designed life so that satisfaction flows out of our taking our responsibility and living it out. If I do right, then I feel right. That's, that's the way it works. <clears throat> so God's wired this in. God's a worker. He made you and I to work. And it's a very, very important part of our lives that he's given us. It, it has a dignity because of the fact that God's assigned it to us and because of the fact it reflects his image. This morning, I want to look uh, a little bit at working for the right boss. As you get into the New Testament, you find out, that if you've committed your life to follow Christ, which is what you do when you realize, wow, this sin has cut me off from knowing God personally. So I'm, I'm going to repent. That means do a 180 degree turn 
and go away from sin and go toward God. God, I want to follow you. I'm committing my life to you as boss, as Lord. I want you to come into my life and show me how to live now. Because that wasn't going so well on my own. So when, when you decide to do that, that's how you become a Christian. You commit your life to follow Christ as Lord. You accept what Christ has done for you on the cross, and you decide to follow him. Well, the New Testament says that once you make that decision, you now have a new boss. You, you have a new person that you're working for. You may go to the same job, but you have a new, you have a new boss, a new employer. Look at Ephesians 6, 7 through 9. It says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, he's talking to slaves there. Um, And then he talks to masters. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism. With him whatsoever. So, this is a, a system where there were slaves and, and free men. Uh, we we are in our society. We tend to be committed to a contract. So we're to fulfill our contract as to the Lord, whatever we've agreed to do. We're we're really working for God as we fulfill the contract that we've signed on to fulfill. And employers are to treat their employees with consideration, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're called to this. We're working for a new boss. We have somebody different that we answer to now. I'd like to take a time before we move on in the message series to interview Mark McAlpine. Um, Mark is, uh, right now, he is on part-time staff here at Church in the Valley, but for the last 30 years, or 28 years or so, He's been in the home building industry. I think for a couple years before that, he was a city manager of Beaumont. Beaumont, and his, I think his political science professor was very proud of him because he was the youngest city manager in California at the time when he was a city manager. And you, you could tell he got out of that quick <laughs> and went into the home building industry. But, um, during the last 28 years, he's worked for the largest and second largest privately home held home builders in the United States. And he's been a senior vice president for, uh, uh, that was Shea Homes and John Lang Homes, and then for Toll Brothers, uh, luxury home builder. So Mark, Mark's been a boss himself, and he's overseen a lot of employees. And I wanted to draw out from him how how his life basically has shifted because of his relationship to the to the Lord and the way he views work, and then how uh, uh, he he is, how he views employees, <laughs> those who are working for him, and how God helps him to do that. So, Mark, would you just share with us uh, when you? Oh, let me tell you something else about what he's doing. He's working part. I said he's working part time for CIV for Church of the Valley. Um, 25 hours a week, and then he's also working for a home-building group in Colorado, helping them get a project going and doing some other consulting work. So he's he's all over the place currently. Um, as you know, the home-building industry is uh, a little scary right now, at least in this market. So um, anyway, Mark, would you share when you committed your life to Christ? 
Well, I've been a Christ follower now for just a little bit over 40 years. Uh, I celebrated my 40th birthday as a Christian this last Easter Sunday. All right. So you committed your life to Christ on Easter. I was baptized on Easter. You are baptized on Easter, okay, but you came to Christ earlier than that. All right. Um, at the jobs I was describing, what, what kind of responsibility did you have at work, and how many employees did you oversee? Well, over the years, uh, I've been responsible for, divi- <coughs> for divisions in excess of 100 employees and for revenues in excess of about uh, a quarter of a billion dollars a year. Okay. Um, and when did you encounter God's perspective on work, and who introduced you to it? Well, it's, it's sort of been amazing to me to see uh, what a comfort it is to have God on my side <clears throat> at work. Uh, shortly after I graduated from high school, I worked for uh, a local home improvement center. Uh, and I worked alongside uh, a deacon from our church. I was raised in a, in, a, in a traditional Southern Baptist church. And he was one who was really instrumental in me coming to Christ to begin with. And when we started working together, it was just amazing to me that he was just the same at work as he was at church. And I looked at that and thought, that's the way that I want to be. You know, I, I want to be able to, to take these values that I'm learning at church and somehow use them in the workplace as well. Yeah, cool. That's a great example. A deacon is a leader, a lay leader in the church. Um, how do you think God's perspective has increased your level of satisfaction in your work? Well, it's, it's sort of been everything to me in terms of satisfaction. Um, it's really helped me, maybe more than anything else, to understand that I'm not defined by my job or by my career, that, uh, you know, what I do for a living is not life or death. It doesn't make it any less, I don't take it any less seriously because of it. In, in, in many respects, I probably take it more seriously because as, as you were just reading in Philippians and then also in Colossians chapter 3, uh, we're to do our work as unto God. And it occurred to me early on and I've largely been able to incorporate it into my professional life, uh, that same attitude that if I have a bad attitude, if I have a bad day, uh, if I do a poor job on something, it doesn't just reflect poorly on me. It reflects poorly on God because it's been important for me that those around us know uh, that I do have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, something just popped into my mind. How How has... In the home building industry, you, you go through, there are trends in the economy that are out of control. And so unrelated to job performance, you, you lose your job, like just happened like a few happened months today. ago. <laughs> um, how has knowing God helped you in those times? I think more than anything else, and, and I think that this has really been something that, that you've been trying to drive home in this message series, and that's God is faithful. Um, because I've been in this business for such a long time and because it's such a cyclical business, uh, this is not the first time uh, I've been laid off. And the first time uh, was way back in 1991. And although we really didn't know what exactly was going to become 
of us, uh, you know, I was questioned by some people in the Sunday school class that I was teaching. You know, you, you seem awfully calm. And I thought about it and said, well, you know, either God will do what he said he will do or he won't. And we're believing that he will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, things got worse, but God always sustained us. And so as I look at downturns in the economy, as I look at recessions and things like that, um, I know that God is going to, to be faithful to us. And so it's a great comfort to me. That's great. I, just, I was just reading in my quiet time this morning that God gives his people strength and peace. And that's, that's what you're saying. Has happened there. Psalm twenty nine eleven. Um, what are what are some back to your overseeing people? What are some of the common frustrations that you saw in your subordinates that they were dealing with, and the strategies they tried to get ahead and make progress or to find satisfaction in their work? Well, I think the, the biggest frustration that I've seen, particularly in younger people getting into uh, the business was uh, just frustrated because things seemed to take so long. Um, they, and, and this is a generalization, but I found it to, uh, again, to be generally true over the years that the younger people coming into my business or perhaps any business um, get so uh, fired up and so excited about rising in the chain of command uh, that actually learning their job becomes secondary. And I've discovered that, you know, once they've done something one time, they don't feel like they need to do it again. And the biggest frustration that I've seen of people coming up uh, is impatience, wanting mm-hmm. to grow more rapidly than they're really prepared to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, Proverbs says that uh, haste is... The opposite of wisdom. <laughs> a lot of times, we we get we want what we want, but we want it right now. I don't want to wait till I'm 50 to enjoy all the the good stuff or whatever. Um, from your perspective as as their boss, what were some of the strategies that worked for them, and what were some that didn't work? Well, the strategies that that I thought worked, uh, and it really <clears throat> stems from uh, my boss. Uh, at Toll Brothers, uh, Bob Toll, who founded the company, uh, right on the front of our training manual, had a quote, and I don't know who it was from, but he said, a wise man knows what he doesn't know. And really what he was telling us is that those who are going to be successful will really know what their limitations are. And so to me, uh, a successful strategy for somebody was to understand this is beyond me. This is not something that I know and not to be afraid to ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. So teachability was a key. Well, teachability and understanding that I don't know everything mm-hmm. uh, and adding a dose of humility that because I don't know something, I'm not going to try to stumble through and hope that it comes out okay, but I'm going to ask somebody who does know so that I can learn the right way and then I don't end up making a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. You, you've just described three of the five characteristics of a successful person in Scripture. Humility, teachability, and patience. Diligence, keep after it, staying after it over the long haul. Um, What are some of the qualities or characteristics 
that you looked for when you were going to promote somebody? Well, that's really, uh, I would start with teachability. Uh, is this a person who I have observed over time? And I want to stress over time uh, because in my career, uh, I've tried not to promote people too quickly uh, because I've been promoted too quickly. You know, you had mentioned my being a young city manager. What Randy didn't say, yes, I was the youngest city manager in the, in the state of California. I was also the dumbest. <laughs> um, I was promoted way beyond my ability to do the job, and it took a horrible toll hmm. on me. And I promised myself at that point, if I'm ever a boss, I'm not going to do that to somebody else. Hmm. And for the employee looking at it, it's hard to understand that I really am looking out for your own good, but I don't want to move you along uh, until you're ready to go. So that's sort of the professional side of it, or the, the technical side of it, the personal side of it, and, and you've talked about this as well, uh, is... I want to see how you interrelate to your peers and to your subordinates. Uh, I used to tell my crews that as a boss, I have a, a stilted idea of how the world goes because I ask for something and it gets done. Uh, I don't necessarily see all the other things that are going on, but I like to watch and walk around and see how people are relating to those who are the same as them and to those who are maybe a little behind them in the chain of command and uh, those people who are kind and who will take their time to help other people. Those are the ones that I look at promoting. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, this, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but what have been some of the struggles that either lazy or fearful employees have had? And what, what has been your, your relationship with them as a boss? The, uh, <coughs> A lot of what I'm talking about has to do with the attitude of the boss, uh, that some bosses uh, see it as a sign of weakness when somebody asks questions. I tried to create an environment in which there was no fear for failure or, or a failure, mm -hmm. uh, or there was no fear, there was no penalty if you made a mistake. And I tried to create an environment where somebody could come to me and ask a question. Uh, but if somebody chose not to go that direction. If somebody just chose, uh, you and I were talking about it earlier, the strategy, ready, fire, aim. Uh, you know, it doesn't work very well. This is the person who jumps off, runs as fast as they can to try to accomplish something, hoping that it works out for them. Uh, you know, and to me, that was just foolishness, and that was just folly. So, you know, that would be my big frustration. And uh, as a boss... If it didn't have a real detrimental effect on the company, I would let them fail. Mm. Uh, I used to tell my employees uh, that you will never drown on my watch, but you will go underwater. Uh, and so that type of person, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to let them run their course and let them understand and learn the hard way uh, that that's not the right way to do things. Mm. Well, thank you, bro. I really appreciate you sharing with us. <clears throat> I appreciate that because that's a great backdrop for where I'm going, and I think it will help make this, these passages uh, come alive for you, make a little more sense. Um,
Working for the right boss raises the value of my work. It's one of the things it does. When you realize that you're working for the Lord, which is what we found in Ephesians 6, uh, that we're serving the Lord, not men. That, that raises the value. Who you're working for makes all the difference in the way that you go about your work. Colossians 3.23 says something similar. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. We're, we're not working for our earthly bosses. We're not working for ourselves. We are working for uh, God himself. When, when I was in grad school, I was self-employed. <clears throat> I, I owned a janitorial business. That's what, that's what I used to say, but it actually owned me more than that. It, it, it only meant that I cleaned toilets and vacuumed floors and things like that. I wasn't always treated as very important, but I began to own this perspective. You know what? It doesn't matter how the people I'm working for treat me. It really only matters whether or not God's pleased with the way I do my work and the way I go about it. Um, Owning that perspective, help, help me realize that no matter what I'm doing, it's important because I'm doing it for the living God. You know, the whole world is his, and he has given us our work to do. If it's honest, honorable work, it's very valuable in his eyes. And as Mark said, your work is important when you're working for the Lord, because if you follow him, then you're reflecting him. If you're known to be a follower of Christ, what you're doing is a reflection on him. So having the right boss sets a higher standard. Verse 22 of chapter 3 of uh, Colossians says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I worked one summer while I was in graduate school also. I cleaned... Uh, apartments, I cleaned offices early, late in the night, early in the morning, and then I needed an extra job one summer. I think Cindy was pregnant and Thad was coming along, and so I needed an extra job, so I did landscaping during the day. So I worked all day long in the summers, and I would be up all night many times doing landscaping. There were There was a crew that I was on one time, a bunch of college students, and they would work with a frenzy until the supervisor rolled up. I mean, when the supervisor rolled up, they would start working in a frenzy. I mean, they're just digging holes. And, and, and you know what? He, uh, he would look at them, and they're just working like crazy. As soon as he left, they're throwing a party. They're just having a great time. And here I am. I've been up most of the night, and I'm just, I'm just steadily doing what I could do. But I was going to do the best I could do all day long. That was a test for me. Because was I going to work just when the supervisor was around? There was a real opportunity to take a nap. Or was I going to work for God, especially when these other guys were getting the same pay, goofing off? When you work for God, you have a, you have a higher standard. You have someone to answer to. Ephesians 6, 6 says, Obey them not only when their favor, not, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God. From your heart, whether you, whether or not anyone's going to notice, you do your best because you know that God's watching. Hebrews four thirteen says, "No creature's hidden; everybody's open to the eyes of God. He sees what's going on." Third, having the right boss provides the right motivation. 
<clears throat> Colossians 3.24. Since you know, you, you work heartily, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, as the Lord Christ you're serving. Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 says the same thing. So serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. You work with all your heart, even when you aren't getting paid what you think you're worth. Few of us are <laughs> getting paid what we think you're worth. Or, or your boss, is he's ticked you off again. He hasn't noticed your work. He hasn't given you the accolades you're due. You, you work. You're not working for him or her. You're working for the living God. You're working for him. We need vertical motivation. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, your motivation comes vertically from him, not, not horizontally from the people around you, whether your coworkers are working hard or whether, whether your boss is giving you your due. You, you work for a different, a different master. Working for the right boss makes a big difference in the way you approach your work and the scripture shows us the right kind of work to do as well. First, it, it produces the right results. <clears throat> Excuse me. So far, I've been able to avoid the, uh, the head cold flu stuff, but hopefully... I can fight through it. <laughs> um, the right kind of work produces the right results. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands. Honest work that benefits people has dignity and value before the living God, no matter what it is. It's important to him. Work that's illegal or immoral that that's you know maybe legal in some states like Nevada there are things that are legal that are immoral. Doesn't matter it, it, whether it's legal or not. If it's immoral, it'll bring God's judgment. But honest work produces the right kind of results, and it's important to God the way you go about it. Second, the right kind of work provides adequate pay. First Thessalonians four eleven through twelve. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. We need, we need enough to live on. That's, that's, the, that's what this is saying. We need to be working hard enough to live on, to, hard enough so that we're earning enough to make it. This is a principle that doesn't bend. It's not flexible. You know, we looked a few weeks ago at how most Americans spend $1.26 for every dollar they make. The way you do that is credit cards. You put things on credit, and you just keep living at a level that you can't. But, but what happens if you do that, you end up hitting a brick wall. It doesn't move. It doesn't move, and it doesn't bend. So you need a job that provides adequate pay. You can't go on with less income than you need. And if your work isn't meeting your fi financial needs, here's some ideas. Trim your spending. Ecclesiastes 5.11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Define needs and wants. Do you just want it or do you really need it? Be content with the, the things you, you really need. Secondly, try to advance in your work. That's okay. It's okay to aggressively pursue advancement. 1 Corinthians 7.21 Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although you, 
If you gain your free, if you can gain your freedom, do so. If you can move on, do so. If you can change your station in life, do it. It's okay. Look for a job that pays enough if there's a dead end in the job that you're in and things don't add up. Third, be diligent. Something else you can do. Just be diligent in the work that you're doing. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. That's what Mark was talking about, haste. Laziness and fear block hard work. And they keep you from advancing on your job. Finally, deal with folly. Sometimes you might be in the same place over and over and over again on your job or in your career is because of folly. Proverbs 19.3 says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Sometimes we end up not getting promoted. Sometimes we end up in the same predicament over and over again. We blow up and lose our job or whatever because there's some foolishness in us that needs to be dealt with. And so one of the things we need to do is consider if there's any foolishness in us. There are a couple common fools that you find in Scripture. There are nine different words for fool in the Hebrew Bible and Hebrew uh, that are all translated fool in English. And a couple of those words have profiles <laughs> that you can, you can pull out. One of them is a casil. A casil kind of fool is a lazy liar. They just, they just, it's, it's probably like the second car, you know, that drew it. I'm just, I'm just going to hang out here for a little bit. I'm not going to get to work too soon. You know, but they go about, instead of wholeheartedly working for the Lord, they're, they're half-hearted in the way that they go about their work. They're inconsistent. Their work goes unfinished. They try to get by with minimum efforts, but they want the maximum reward. They just think, hey, something's going to happen. I'm going to fall into this. Life's going to go better. Second kind of fool is an avil. Uh, Kaseel is spelled K-E-C-I-Y-L. That's the Hebrew word. The, the second one is avil, E-V-I-Y-L. Uh, and this, this fool uses upset as a tool to get their way. Um, they're hard to work with. They generate a lot of tension, a lot of frustration, a lot of animosity. Their boss withholds permission from them, or promotion from them because he doesn't want to deal with the problems. He doesn't really want more time with them. And he doesn't want to deal with the problems that they're going to create if they're promoted. So one problem with your lack of increase could be that you're on the merry-go-round of folly. You, just, you, you can't, you got to get past yourself. You got to get past this foolish tendency. Finally, the, the right kind of work allows me to keep my priorities straight. Matthew 6.33 says, but Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is a choice to do this. I was driving back with my son Thad from Oklahoma, and we stopped in Fort Worth, and saw some friends there, and one of my friends, who's a member of Hope Church in Fort Worth that many of you know about, uh, he is a, a pharmacist, and he works in a hospital, and he told me that he just became the director of pharmacy for this hospital, has 75 employees, and he had decided early on that he was only going to do his job as he and his wife talked about him getting an MBA, which is what's required to be a director, 
of pharmacy in a hospital. You really need your master's of business administration. You need that. He decided not to go for it because it would scramble his priorities. He has decided that my priorities are to, to work, to find adequate pay, and then beyond that, I want to make an investment in my family and in, in my ministry. I want to do what God's called me to do. And so he, he decided not to go for his master's because it would take time away from those two things. Well, through a series of events, God put him in the place now where he's become a director of pharmacy. Shouldn't have been able to happen. Shouldn't, shouldn't have been able to do it. But diligence, hard work, staying after it, he gained a reputation, and this hospital wanted to hire him. So keeping your priorities straight, all these things will be given to you as well. Many times, God is the one. Not many times. God is always the one pulling the strings. But many, many times, he, he steps in to bring honor to you. The right kind of work will allow me to keep my priorities straight. It doesn't scramble them. I can have my relationship with God. I can have a good relationship with my family. I can fulfill my part of the mission that God has given us and seeing others come to know him. If, if your priorities are constantly scrambled, then you probably need to get serious about learning discipline. It's rarely the job that's doing it. You may need to get another job, but usually it's discipline. I need to stay after this. Pressure on our priorities is normal. It's, they're going to be you know, constantly battling, trying to get things in order. But a constant scramble is not, so you need to deal with it. So let's look at some next steps as we wrap up the message this morning that, that you may want to take. And if you could let us know on the connection card and drop that in the offering, if you're going to take one of these steps, that'd be great. First one, I'm going to work for a higher standard set by the Lord. I want to do more than the minimum for, for the real boss. You know, it's, it's very easy to slip in and out of the right attitude, the right standard. But this morning, I'm going to commit to a higher standard that's set by the Lord. Second, I will find my motivation for work and pleasing God. I'm going to find a new motivation, not what everybody else is doing, not what the boss is, how he's handling me. But I'm going to work for him. I'm going to be motivated by God. Another step that you may want to take uh, is... To, to take action to, to make your pay adequate. Something has to give. The block wall won't move. So I'm going to take steps to trim my spending or increase my pay. Finally, I'll get my priorities straight. If you, if you haven't ever committed your life to Christ, come to know him. At, get your questions answered. Find out what it means to commit your life to follow Christ and allow him to come in and begin to help you. If your priorities have been scrambled, if you've committed your life to Christ, set yourself to choose the discipline to get them unscrambled or to find the work to make it possible. And then you, you may want to memorize Colossians 3.23. It's a great verse to remind us to work heartily as unto God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd give us the strength to follow through and apply it to our lives.